Welcome to The Quarantine Tapes, a daily podcast from Onassis, L.A. and Dublin. Hosted by Paul Holdengraber, this series chronicles shifting paradigms in the era of social distancing. Hello? Hello, could I please speak with Sandra Jackson Dumont? This is Sandra. Hello, this is Paul Holdengraber calling you from the Quarantine Tapes. Thank you so much for taking my call. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you calling, and I appreciate you putting all this great energy out there in the world with these great interviews. We, 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 we need that energy, don't we? We, we need to, I mean, I don't drink Drano in the morning, and I feel that, <laughs> <laughs> isn't it always good to begin a conversation with a laugh? Oh, God, yes. Thank you for that. That was a sad, but, you know, sinister kind of chuckle based on that. Oh, yeah. Tell me tell me what the yeah uh, is for you at this moment. I'm just thinking about, you know, this idea that um, misinformation oftentimes kind of fuels a little chaos, or in this case, a big, great deal of chaos, and, and that art and culture tend to do the opposite in many ways, right? So... Tell, um, me, tell me more of that. Well, tell me, tell me how you think that art and culture do the opposite, than than uh, perplex us in in the way that the present world seems to want us to be confused. I just think that art and culture like catalyzes people to have conversations um, and di- and and create a level of discourse that if one talks enough they kind of get to honesty. Um, and I often um, think in this moment in time, um, we, uh, while people are, it, it's, a, it's a very ironic moment because while people are really anxious and feeling very afraid and um, I'll speak for myself, um, feeling um, fearful, um, art takes us to this other space that, you know, asks us to deal with many of those questions um, and and deal with those feelings if we actually allow it to do its work. If we allow artwork to work, to labor, then yeah, um, we can get there. So for our listeners, Sandra, I would, I would love you to tell us what you are the director of. Um, and if you could take us through the spaces of that place, which nobody can really imagine, you know, if Mocha is closed, or if LACMA is closed, or if the Broad is closed, or the Underground Museum is closed, most people Mm. will be able to visualize it. In your case, they Mm -hmm. can't quite yet. So perhaps you could take us on a virtual tour of a future museum of which you're the director. I'm leaving all this very vague so that you can fill in the blanks and maybe even tell me, have you been walking through the halls of this empty space, which will become something soon? Well, it's funny that you mention that. So um, I I am the new, really new, 
um, executive director and CEO of the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art, which is in South LA in Expo Park for people that um, know the area. Um, it's an 11 acre park um, with a, an amazing Ma Yansong um, building um, on it. It doesn't exist yet. The concrete is still being poured. Um, beams are going up. So I have yet to walk the halls physically. Um, but it's a museum of visual storytelling. And we hope that it will, and we, our aspiration is that it will be a place where visual storytelling will connect us um, to shape a more just society that people will through visual storytelling, um, also challenge assumptions and preconceived notions and or existing definitions of what art and museums um, are in society and what they can be for society. And so um, by focusing literally and on our local community, um, we believe that courageous ideas and conversations um, will be able to radiate and you know, um, make for more or catalyze a more connected, civic, and, um, and I hope, we hope, empathetic world. So if you were to come to this park, we hope that you people will spend, um, which is a part of the museum, will spend time roaming through this space, meandering, um, privileging their own point of view and their decisions by walking this incredible new plot of 11 acres of green space in the middle of South LA. That's one piece of it. Uh, and if you were to enter this, mm-hmm, go no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. So if you were, in, if you were to go into the building, um, you'd be able to go left um, to a space that um, represents or go one direction to a space that is, you know, an education, public programming kind of, um, cultural common space, which is what I feel this entire place will be. Um, and if you were to go to the right or to a nut to the other entrance, you'd be able to go right in. And on the first floor, there will be um, a 10,000 square foot gallery. Um, we are still working out the details of what will um, take shape in these spaces. I've only been at the museum since January. Oh my goodness. Incredible. Crazy. Incredible. <laughs> Um, there will be um, a great cafe with affordable resources and food. Um, uh, there will be people working there um, that are from the local community. Um, there will be um, a, a great gift shop featuring um, resources not only from um, you know the local community or LA, but also the overall art world, if you will, or creative practitioners um, that are currently perceived as great visual storytellers and then an introduction to tons of them that no one's ever heard of. You'll be able to go upstairs to a, um, to a, um, a, a gallery that is sweeping in scale and scope. Um, the galleries upstairs are all together. We'll have about a hundred thousand square feet of gallery space. Um, that's incredible. <laughs> it, 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 I, um, I, I can I can feel um, your excitement at at its opening. When when will its opening happen? I mean, I I know that that's a difficult question to ask at this moment, given how little we know about what the future will bring us. But when when more or less might we have a chance to take this stroll? 
you know, with any capital project like this, of this amazing scale and scope, I have to say, I, I'm hesitant to say a date. Um, and you hit it right on the head. Um, we are in the middle of these like really change, strange and challenging times that I, I really can't honestly say when it will open. Um, it will open and hopefully it won't open next year. I can tell you that. It, so, um, but, but it, it, it will be opening in the next, I would say, um, um, in the near future. In the near future. We'll leave it at that. And I completely understand. I'd like you to unpack a little bit more the notion of narrative art. A hundred years ago, I, I was interested in the history of museums, believe it or not, and and the origins mm-hmm. of the museum and the origin of, for instance, the Louvre and, and the way in which the Louvre wanted to be a visible history of art so that when you walked through it, like walking through the chapter of a book, you you went from century to century century um and so that the the very idea of walking and walking through the galleries was as if as if you took a walk through history and i'm i'm wondering mm-hmm. what narrative art in your appellation actually means so there's a couple of things one is it, it literally is the art of visual storytelling it is from cave paintings to Kara Walker. It is, I mean, really think about that. Yeah. Think about the people's collections that where it's with everyday folks collected works of art that held stories that they found valuable. And in many cases, museums didn't necessarily collect those. Um, we see a big change in that. Someone once asked me when I worked at the Mad in an interview for, it was an exhibition about photography, found photography of, of black people actually. And they, the interviewer asked me, why is this art? And I, no, not why is this art? She's like, is this art? And I said, um, what do you mean? And she said, well, why, why is this art? They're found photographs. And I, my answer was really, I think she found it to be tongue in cheek a little bit, but I said, the majority of what has historically been shown in encyclopedic institutions was never deemed art until they said so. And so these photographs represented that. And so like, the narrative art is the art of visual storytelling, and it will literally be comic books, for example, and those are considered art. And if you ask Harry James Marshall, he definitely would say that's art, right? But most museums, most visual art institutions haven't necessarily kind of elevated that or not even elevated, just said it was art. And so the history of visual storytelling or the history of narrative art is art that actually pulls at you. It makes you think. It pulls you into their the story. It actually um, also is the art of connecting people to issues and ideas through a narration. Um, and it's existed across time and place. It's existed across cultures. And this is a way for it actually to be kind of presented in a format that allows for people to see things juxtaposed against each other that would never have been put alongside each other. It is what museums are doing. Some of the most progressive museums are doing this already. This is just an institution dedicated completely to doing that. You know, I I know you're interested in the engagement that museums have with the public in bringing people together in a physical space. And I'm wondering, has this pandemic changed your view of what museums could do, should do, 
in what way has this moment when we can't really touch each other but need in some way to be in contact with each other made you ponder the role of what museums aspirations can be yeah i think that i see museums not only as institutions of collecting but i see them more as town halls i see them a lot of people describe museums in this moment and in in moments of um, crisis i was in new york and during 9-11 and i remember people talking about museums as being like these temples these sanctuaries and i think they they can function as that but i also see them as places where we actually can have debate right. we can come together and have divergent point of views and leave safe. And so I think in this moment, a lot of those things that people were afraid to try in museums, that, that they were um, slightly conservative, conservative about, these times are actually going to shift them to think about equity totally differently. They're going to be thinking about access totally differently. And I think that museums are the, are the like, right place for us to have these kinds of conversations. Now, some of that will happen online. I think it actually helps us understand that our intellectual capacity, our contribution to society doesn't just represent, um, just rest in the walls of these physical places. The museum is wherever you are. Community is wherever you are. You make it, you breathe it, you build it. And that's actually, I think, what museums have lost over the years at times. We've forgotten that we actually need to be nimble. We need to be porous. We need to be engaged. We need to be dynamic. And we need to be inspired and reflective of what's actually happening in the world. And this moment, it's like the creator was like, okay, everyone, you're going to sit down for a second and you actually are going to think about why you matter in the world. And so that's the difference. I think for me, I think that museums are actually becoming much more innovative in this moment because they've been put in a pressure chamber to do so. So I think the future of museums is to take this very practice that we're exhibiting outside and bring it back into the spaces. And don't forget to go back outside when you're done. You know, it reminds me of a, 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 um, a, a line in a book I very much like by David Lowenthal, The Past is a Foreign Country, where he talks about a visit to the British Museum and seeing the Elgin marbles. And of course, the Elgin marbles are very contested. Should they go back to Greece? Should they not go back to Greece? Are they better protected in the, in the British Museum? Hard to resolve that question. But David Lowenthal says, the most important thing the museum can do is put labels next to the Elgin marbles with the elements of the debate. So, mm. so that you're mm -hmm. really confronted to an, uncomf mm -hmm. an, an uncomfortable history because museums, as we well know, come from wars and plunder and things that we sort of try to obscure sometimes. Yes, I agree. I think that museums, I think labels should have questions. <laughs> oh, well, that's very <laughs> good. Label, and I hope you will. I hope you. I, I hope I can remind you about this uh, when the museum opens, and I come to see it. And if I don't see questions on the labels, I'll give you a call. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think that. This I'm, is a great moment for people to really think. Yeah, yeah and I'm. Yeah. You know, I know that um, you're, you're thinking, you're thinking about the impact um, the museum will have on the community, and I'm wondering 
I, I know you worked with Thelma Golden, and I know you you know some of the institutions I very much prize. I wonder what you've both learned from from these institutions, and what how you how you think uh, the Lucas Museum will be able actually to function with a very difficult situation about what it means to enter into a, a certain community and perhaps. Um, just raise the rents, but not necessarily work in the best way with the community at hand. And I'm thinking in this particular case, I'm thinking about certain institutions in Los Angeles that I've discovered, like the Underground Museum that has worked so beautifully yes. with the community around it. I mean, one of the things that I think is important, um, well, first of all, I love the Underground Museum. Me too, um, me too, I mean, so much. Such an important, such an important place. Um, and I don't say that because everyone thinks they're great. I think they actually are doing significant work. But I, I actually feel aligned with the purpose and values of the institution that we're building. Um, how do you engage community? Um, I think you go there when you don't have a microphone, when you're not the subject. You engage, And so I think that this notion of community is embedded in practice, and it's not a they're the community. I once had in a meeting, um, oh, I just, feels like a lot of meetings I've been in. Um, I remember being in a community meeting um, and, you know, we went around the room and someone said, oh, I'm from, you know, during the introductions, this was years ago in another place, and someone said, oh, I'm from the blah, 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 and I'm from the youth services, da, 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 and I'm from the blah, 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 and I'm from the, you know, the, the such and such school for da, 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 and I'm from the university of blah, 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 I'm from the senior center, and then I said, oh, I'm from the museum that I worked at at the time, and they were like, what are you doing here? And I was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's like, I'm here for the same reasons, but the history of museums has not been one that has been about like my, who I am and what I am is wrapped up in who you are. And, and my success is your success. Your success is my success. And so the Lucas Museum will be an institution that actually is wrapped up in the place where it is. And then some, Right. it will not. You know, it won't be adjacent to, it won't be the place that is, it, it literally is the community. It, it needs to be that. It should not be in service just to the community. It should be in service to, to communities with an S and right. understand what those complexities are. But it's about reciprocity, um, making sure that we also don't think that we are saving anyone. You right. know, we are, we are in dialogue with. And so it's not, it's just a different way of working for sure. Um, because for the truth is that I'm from those, I'm from similar communities. Right. And so, um, so it's not a voyeuristic approach to this stuff. It's really, you know, that the people that we hire actually should be engaged in these discussions before we hire them. Of course. And, and yeah. nor, nor did I infer this at all. I, I just know, oh, no. no, just, I, I know that issues, pertaining to let's say gentrification are so important oh, yeah. and and oh yeah you know, that's valid uh, and so, uh, and i know that some of your colleagues at the lucas museum have described it as a school for schools because there are 500 schools within a five mile radius but should libraries and having worked for many years at the New York Public Library, I, I, I have some sense of it, but should libraries and museums take up the space once occupied by schools? And in, in, in effect, can they? Actually, you know, I'm of the elf that no one can do this by themselves. 
So now museums shouldn't take it up in totality, but there are certain things that from an informal learning perspective that museums bring to the table that, and that libraries bring to the table that schools have a different expertise. And so one of the things that I think is super important is this idea of what does collective impact look like? What does it look like mm-hmm. if we all are in this together? Mm-hmm. That we realize that there is no one solution to any single problem. That if we could look at things from different vantage points and actually bring all of that skill set to the table because we share values, we actually will be um, making for a better society. I really, truly believe that. Mm. I think sometimes people pit things against each other, and that's not, I don't think that's what you're implying at all, because we no, also no, cannot no, I'm, I'm take really the place not. of. Yeah. No, not at all, no, and I hear that. Yeah, I'm not, definitely. I'm, I'm definitely not. I, I just know that, you know. Uh, yeah, there's I, a history of it. There, there's a history, and art appreciation is something that, you know, the arts in general are the first things to go so quickly from yep. the school curriculum. I don't need to tell you. But I want to I want to get to something really that I think is really important. I think that, that will... Uh, I mean, will resonate with you, I think. Uh, You've talked about Uh something Martin Luther King once said to Harry Belafonte, who's dear, dear, dear to me. I once had occasion to to interview Harry Belafonte, which was just so tremendous. Uh, Just before his death, he said, for all the steps we've taken towards integration, I've come to believe that we're integrating into a burning house. And Belafonte then asked, if that's what you think, what would you have us do? And Dr. King responded, I guess we're just going to become the firemen. And you add to that, artists are mm-hmm. chief among these countries, firefighters. How, how fantastic. Mm-hmm. How so? I mean, I, I feel like artists, educators, um, uh, I feel like artists, um, grandparents, um, I feel like literally they held equal value for me. They are, all of them are firefighters. Um, they are fighting for a level of dialogue and a level of um, <laughs> social well-being that I think is super imperative. And it's unfortunate that there are so many, um, there's such a long history of injustice and um, inequity that we are the firemen, right? And so our job as a collective is to, I feel, to not only, I mean, it's it's literally to speak the truth and point to hope on so many levels, Mm. but also connect that to action that in each of our little corners of the universe, we are actually doing something toward the collective good as opposed to just individually acting um, for our own goodwill. Um, I love that right now, I live in Harlem, and I live across the street from Harlem Hospital, and so I hear the fire trucks every day. I hear the ambulance every day. And I love that um, I go on my, we slide notes under our neighbor's doors because we haven't gotten to see them with our cell phone numbers on them saying, call me, just let me know you're okay. Um, I'm the, and there are people we haven't even met 
Um, there are people that I go out on our terrace and scream. We scream at seven o'clock in gratitude for the people who work in the grocery store downstairs, the people that are giving away clothes at the local, you know, um, Salvation Army, the parents that are, I mean, it's just the work culture, the workers across the way. I wish that we could actually scream for also the cultural workers and DJs and musicians that are playing online so that we could scream out for them to say like, oh my goodness, you have really provided relief in the midnight hour where people can't sleep because they're thinking about loss or they're thinking about a loved one they can't hug or, or kiss, you know, um, or their child they're separated from because they happen to just have been on business somewhere else. And so I think when I think about this moment, I'm thinking about like how incredibly rich this collective impact idea is. It's, it's actually happening right now. People are screaming out to connect with each other. Right. And my and, fear and is saw, that. And we saw, I'm sorry, go ahead. Your fear. I interrupted no, you, please. My fear. No, no, no. My fear is that we have such selective memory as a people that when we go back indoors, it will fade away so quickly how much we yearn to be around each other, how much we yearned for like in-person dialogue about works of art, how much we yearn to see the brushstrokes in a painting, um, how much we yearn to hear music live, to dance with each other, to read to each other live and in person. I mean, you were interviewing um, Julie Moretti, who's a good friend of mine. And I yeah, listened to that yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah. When you were like, yeah, my mom used to tell me, get off the phone. And Julie was like, I so remember that. And I was laughing because I totally remember that. My I'm God, like, my I, mom I, would say, you just saw I her. I hear my mother. <laughs> I hear my mother saying, please, Paulie, get off the phone. Now she, would, exactly. now she would now she would tell me, don't look down at your, your phone to text. Look at the clouds. Right. And so imagine if you went to a museum, like when we go back, if we went to museums and only five people could be in a gallery, unfortunately, or you, we found ourselves in moments, instead of moving through the space in complete silence, some people may choose to do that. Some people may, may, may choose to walk through and make their own soundtrack. But other people might walk up to a stranger and say, what do you think about that? My fear is that we will go back inside, we'll go back outside and we'll forget this like incredible teachable moment. And so I think that museums and art and culture, like we are firefighters, but we have to be the ones that remind people when we go back inside, when things are not as on fire, when it's just the smoke is still there to remember to look back at it because it's, it's not that distant and it can happen again. We're firefighters, but we also have to light the fire. Yes, I like. Yeah, that. I like that. Yes, it was very. I mean, on the, on the one hand, certain fires need to be extinguished; those of hatred and bigger uh, bigotry and all of that. But at the same time, we have to, you know, create certain ways, certain spaces for enthusiasm, certain spaces where people can actually discover and rediscover what painting when you when you think now the museums are, are, are closed what painting or what set of paintings come to your mind since you heard julie we naturally spoke about turner i'm wondering what you turn to now yeah. i mean i 
I'm trying to think about like Barkley Hendrick, um, beautiful painter. And um, one of my favorite paintings is um, Lordy Mama. It's owned by the Studio Museum. It's really heavily produced. It's, I mean, she looks like a social, a civil rights leader, but she's painted in gold leaf with a giant afro. She looks like a cross between my sister and, you know, um, what I would imagine a black Madonna to look like, you know? Um, and so I, I loved going to greet her on 125th street, you know? Fantastic. Um, I love that notion of going, of going to, to greet her, you know, Sandra, I, I wish we could talk so much longer. I wanted to ask you about the separate cinema archive and what the, what, what the museum is going to, to collect in, in the future and how, what the relationship between museums and social justice must be. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. I, I must bid you farewell for now. But I can't wait. Oh, to, that's such I, a tease. I know, I know, I know. But that—that's—that's—that's <laughs> the that's, that's point. That's my métier to tease. <laughs> but uh, let me reassure you that beyond my virtual hug now to you, I can't wait to meet oh, you. you. I can't wait to meet you, and I can't wait to to discover this new museum. And I, 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 I loved your repeated. The repetition of the word yearn, we yearn, we yearn, we yearn. Well, let us continue to yearn for things that are really important and for the right kinds of priorities, which really mean to be together and to look at each other in the eyes. So, Sandra, thank you so much. Thank you so much. and take, Take care and let us meet soon in person. Absolutely. Take care and thank you for this. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. To support this show and Dublab's progressive programming, go to dublab.com/support.